Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and I hate sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. I'm Jason, and I've got this really unique situation going on right now. I'm somewhere that's not what I would call Earth. I'm seeing freaking sand monsters, and oh yeah, I'm talking to a gauntlet. I'm Jackson, and I've got my toes in the water, toes in the sand, not a care in the world, a gauntlet on my hand. 2023 has been absolutely packed with huge games, and there are even more on the horizon. That doesn't mean we can't stop and appreciate the smaller games. Atlas Fallen, from the same developer as popular Souls-inspired games like Lords of the Fallen and The Surge, was advertised as a high-octane journey to the sands of a magical kingdom. But is it any good? Let's get into it. Another blatant example of how useless the gaming journalism has become. This is a game that knows it's just a combination of better games. Like it's a spiritual predecessor. Darksiders, no other examples. <laughs> and I love it for that reason. It isn't trying to be some grandiose BS or act super duper serious. As one idiot critic says in their review, fine isn't acceptable in 2023. A tremendously stupid thing to say, particularly considering the insane level of irony having that come from a C-list website and someone from part of an industry that keeps lowering its standards. But alas, being good at a few different things but not reinventing the wheel is just not nearly good enough nowadays somehow. You've got to overcommit to one gimmick, like most games with overly huge empty worlds and gloomy self-seriousness in order to be more than fine these days. For me, no thanks. Uh, that was a 10 out of 10 review for the game Atlas Fallen by user Tesseract on Metacritic. Uh, I do also want to point out that they did give the game a 10 out of 10, but the review is about three times as long as what I read. And they do go on to explain the game isn't actually a 10. It's a 7.5 or an 8. <laughs> uh, they also specifically said it's a 10 out of 10, but then were like, there are parts that are terrible about this game. Like the voice acting is garbage. <laughs> So, you know, 10 out of 10, but also a 7.5, but also there's really bad parts. <laughs> I completely agree with everything you just said. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the part of that that I really want to hone in on is that same quote that he kept circling on, which is fine, isn't acceptable in 2023. And like, it's not that I've never played a game and thought that was fine and moved on. As much as it was like, I've never se I've never played a game, thought that was fine, and then like gave it a 10 out of 10 and went on a big rant about how everyone's standards are too high. <laughs> um, actually, every 7 out of 10 should be a 10 out of 10, because it's fine, and that's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he's actually just grading games on a very steep curve. <laughs> well, he has the curve, you know, 7.5 to 8 and above, that's a 10. And everything yeah. below is like a zero. I mean, that's how people see gaming journalism. I mean, it's objectively untrue, but like everyone says that every gaming publication gives games a seven, a 10, or like a one, <laughs> even though almost no games get ones. And it's actually not nearly as big of a percentage that gets sevens as you think it is. <laughs> I mean, I think the big problem, <laughs> and this is, I guess, already getting into the weeds, just a great start, but, uh, Gaming in general, I think, is really stagnated in the AAA space. 
So sure. like, yeah, sure. every game is getting a seven or, you know, in that kind of range between like six and nine, because there aren't a huge number of games that are like trying something new these days. Yeah. And the ones that do try something new, generally they have something else that's gone horribly wrong with them or they have trouble developments. Yeah. But uh, Tesseract, we thank you for your insightful and incredibly important take on gaming. Uh, and now we shift over to our own insightful and incredibly important take <laughs> on gaming. So, Jackson, I'm going to hand this one over to you. Uh, set us up a little bit. What is Atlas Fallen? Atlas Fallen is... Um, so remember that game for Spoken? So it's kind of just that. Um, but if it was kind of good wow i disagree with both parts of that statement <laughs> yeah uh atlas fallen is a i guess fantasy action adventure game made by deck 13 uh who made i gotta look at this list because i've never played any of their games before uh lords of the fallen and the surge and the surge 2 but not the lords of the fallen yeah lords of the fallen is getting a sort of reboot slash remake thing it's just a full sequel Oh, is it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's just, they weirdly decided to name the sequel to Lords of the Fallen, The Lords of the Fallen. They gave it the Suicide ah. Squad treatment. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, but it is ironically not being made by Deck 13, the company that made the original game, which is a very confusing turn of events. It's the same thing that happened to the freaking Suicide Squad. True. Uh, but after playing... Uh, Atlas Fallen, I kind of understand why you're not going to put all your eggs in this basket. <laughs> yeah, um, like I was saying, it's a uh, fantasy character. I guess it's a character action adventure. I'm not too sure. It's definitely action adventure. Not too sure about the character part. <laughs> you're really honing in on this genre thing when, like, I don't <laughs> think that's that important. But go off, I guess. <laughs> yes, King. Anyways, what's happening in Atlas Fallen? <laughs> uh, so what's happening is that your character is i can't remember what they're called like an unnamed or something they just they don't nameless, have a name nameless yeah nameless who are basically just like the peasants of this world and one day while you're like in some peasant camp <laughs> when you're trying to get a bunch of people freed from it you run out into the storm and you find a weird mystical gauntlet that it talks to you it talks to you for some reason <laughs> And then you start going on some wacky adventures to, to save this land with the gauntlet. And the gauntlet keeps talking to you. And I don't like that it talks to you. Yeah, to kind of fill in the gaps here, um, you're basically, you're living as a slave. They are called unnamed, by the way. Oh, okay. Unnamed. Um, you're living at what is, uh, what is effectively a slave. You're sent out into the wilderness to catch another person who is trying to flee this encampment. In the process, you find this glove that gives you sand superpowers and won't stop talking about them. And uh, then you go and fight some evil monsters and some royalty and the god of this kingdom to try to set everything right. In, in its presentation, I'd say it's pretty unique, but I would say this like core conflict that's happening in the game is is pretty standard fantasy stuff <laughs> yeah not really much special stuff going on there guy gets some magical powers from a magical artifact and then has to use it to fight a bunch of evils that are plaguing his society his or her society it's your own character you build them yourself this time around so have you all played any other deck 13 games at all nope 
I I think I've probably touched the surge before. <laughs> I, I think I've played a little <laughs> bit of that. Yeah, I so I got Lords of the Fallen at launch. I only played three or four hours of it. I really wasn't feeling it. But then I picked up the surge when it was like the free PlayStation Plus game. And I didn't play a ton of it, maybe like 10 or 12 hours. But like, I made a pretty good dent in it. And I, I liked the time I spent with it. I think it had some good ideas, even if it was a little watered down. Um, I could probably give the second one a try because I heard it improved upon a lot of stuff. But I haven't gotten to that point yet. This is the first uh, Deck 13 game that I've like really given its due. <laughs> it's the first one that I've even like come close to finishing, I think. Even though I think I probably played more of the Surge than I did of this game. <laughs> just in terms of like total number of hours. I mean, I think I've made it pretty clear. I'm not like super into the Soulsborne genre. And at least for the past five to eight years, the only thing that's come out of deck 13 has been Soulsborne games. So yeah, it's, it's certainly not everybody's cup of tea. Um, this game, when I was first looking at it, looked like it was going to be a little more approachable. Like it, it could have a bigger audience if it was done correctly. Um, but even after playing it, I don't know if I would say it was done correctly. <laughs> As, uh, the only one of the three of us that beat the game, I can tell you, I don't think it was done correctly. <laughs> yeah, it, this is a weird game. I admittedly did not play much of this, uh, cause I moved into college over the last week. So a lot of stuff going on with that. And, uh, I did also spend too much time playing Final Fantasy 16, <laughs> but I do feel like this game had a lot of good ideas that I was very interested in, and then it just didn't execute them greatly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a, a good way to put it, because when I first started in this game, I actually, like, I got it. Like, I, I was vibing with certain parts of it. There were certain mechanics that were kind of finicky, but, like, otherwise, I was liking what I was doing for the first probably two to three hours. But the more time I spent with it, and the more I kind of got into, like, the nitty-gritty of it, and the, the more the thing started to amp up and combat got more involved and the story kind of starts going some places. I was just kind of like, eh, this isn't for me. <laughs> I know there are people that like it because that, that review I read earlier is not the only positive one I have seen, but I do feel like this game falls short on a lot of marks and a lot of people will probably agree with, with that summary. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just, a part of the gaming space that I haven't interacted with in a while, but I do think Atlas Fallen does a lot that's not being done right now. <laughs> as weird as as weird as that sounds, like I feel like ever since Dark Siders two, in my opinion at least, like there's been kind of a hole where that that type of like big flashy character RPG open world sandbox kind of thing. Sandbox yeah. being very literal in this case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I just feel like they don't really do that kind of thing anymore. Uh, and I think that this game, you know, it's it's hard to talk about without mentioning Darksiders because it, it does feel like it takes so much from that series. Specifically, like, in the sure. way your character moves, the way your character fights. Yeah, it's these, like, big sweeping attacks that cover a huge area and 
you know, the fact that you can stay in the air for really long periods of time and you have dashes and double jumps and all this stuff to keep up the movement and all that. It it feels very, very similar to Darksiders 2. And I love Darksiders 2. That was one of the first first things I noticed watching initial gameplay for this game was a lot of the similarities there. And that's part of the reason I was excited for this one. And I think it definitely does deliver some of that same adrenaline that Darksiders has when you're in those big fights. The difference is, I just don't think this game is very mechanically sound. Like, it feels like there's a lot of stuff that doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. There's a lot of inconsistency in terms of, I feel like I'm doing the same thing twice, but it just doesn't work the second time. And I don't know if I can overlook that nearly as much in a game today as I could a game, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely get that. I, I just think it's, you know, worth mentioning that a lot of people are going to be drawn to this because it's doing stuff like, I mean, it's obviously not as mechanically complex, but it's doing the same kind of thing that a game like Devil May Cry does or a simpler game, you know, Kingdom Hearts. I, I feel like this is somewhere in the middle of those two games. I feel like Darksiders in general was also kind of somewhere between those two. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, that it's just there's not games like that being made or at least not AAA ones really these days yes. i mean how yeah, old no. is devil may cry 5 at this point i know kingdom hearts 3 is like six years old seven i want to think it's 2017 right i want to think devil may cry 5 was around the same time i mean i'm not saying like there's no games like that i think final fantasy 16 hit a kind of similar place but i think that the vibes were very different in final fantasy 16 there wasn't as much of an emphasis on like moving around and stuff like that it was more like about your abilities when you use them i think there's a lot of similarities between these two games uh and i think that final fantasy 16 is a much better game that's definitely for sure i do like the concept behind a lot of the systems in this game like uh the i think the most important one is probably the momentum system which is basically just when you do damage to enemies, it builds up a meter that when it reaches a certain point, your weapons will change their forms and uh, you will one, do more damage. Your attack patterns are somewhat different and you receive more damage. I did not know you received more damage. You do receive more damage. Yeah. I was not um, paying That actually makes sense now that I think about it. Yeah. And also when you hurt, when you hit certain levels within that meter, uh, different abilities that you have will become unlocked. So you have three basically like ability abilities. Like when you reach them, you press a key bind and it activates them. Um, and then there are some passive ones that are also throughout that. That'll just give you minor buffs like bigger shield duration or deal more damage. Yeah. But then they do, they do get more complex as you get further in the game. Like they'll be, you know, based around a single ability and there's right, like some yeah. good synergy there. I think that the abilities in this game is probably one of the most well-executed parts of it, just because, you know, it it has that possibility for build craft going on, where you could have a character that fights somewhat differently, at least. Uh, I think it's really let down by the fact that the game only has three weapons, but I, I definitely see what they were going for with those abilities. And I think in a game with more weapons, or at least... You know, something like Devil May Cry, where it's a lot easier to switch between your weapons on the fly. I think that it could have been a really deep and complex, you know, ability and weapon inventory system. Yeah. And I think a lot of it does work well. I mean, it definitely could be bigger. I think my biggest issue if with it is there's, there's a lot of, like, attack connection issues. 
It's like mm. enemies in this game have ridiculously small, specific hitboxes. Yeah, uh, one thing I relied on a lot in this game is one of the you have three weapons at your disposal, and you can have two of them equipped at any given time. Uh, it's weird there's three, but you can use two. I don't know why they didn't just like work in all three as different parts of combos, but whatever. That's not that big of a deal. But there is one that's like a whip of sorts, and one of its big selling points is that you can use it to like grab an enemy and pull yourself towards them. And that became incredibly important for me for dealing with aerial enemies. And there are, I would say, every other enemy in this game flies. Yeah, there's a really big emphasis on aerial combat in this game that I wasn't aware of. Yeah, and you can use that whip to get to the enemy in the air. The problem is, sometimes it just doesn't. Like, maybe one in, like, every four or five times I would use it, they would be close enough, I should definitely be able to hit them. I would see the whip, like, physically make contact with their body, and then the enemy would just keep moving as if I never hit them, and it wouldn't pull me towards them. But I just have no idea why that would happen. There would be times where it would look like an attack was definitely making contact, and it just wouldn't. Or there'd be times where I would feel like the lock-on should pull me towards an enemy with a certain attack, and it previously had pulled me towards that enemy. And then this time, I just I'd stay completely in place and don't move at all. There's also a lot of times where, like you know, I mentioned, like it's like enemies have very small hitboxes. It's like you have a very big hitbox though, which is like. The exact opposite of how most games are. Most games, from what I understand, usually the enemy has a much larger hitbox than like it should seem to have, while you yourself have like a lot smaller of one than you should seem to have. At least when it comes to like single player games. When it comes to multiplayer games, they can't do that because that's cheating. <laughs> and it's like this game did the opposite of that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you did a good job kind of going over the momentum and kind of explaining the different weapons and how you build up. We probably should mention how the combat works, at least from the enemy's perspective, because generally anytime you get into a big fight in Atlas Fallen, there are a lot of smaller enemies that deal a lot of damage and attack fairly quickly, but are easy to take down, you know, like maybe two or three hits. And then there's usually a large enemy that's kind of in the middle. Uh, And that enemy Instead of just, you know, dealing as much damage as you can to it, you need to break certain parts of it. Kind of in a similar vein to Monster Hunter, but in a much less interesting way. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, as you're trying to fight these enemies, they have different types of attacks. There are red attacks, which can be parried, and the parry is pretty powerful. And generally, if you parry enough attacks from an enemy, you'll be able to freeze it. And then you can do extra damage to it, or you can take care of like smaller enemies around it while it can't move around. The parry is also very generous with its timing, yeah. um, more than almost any other game that I've played. Like you have like a you have like a second and a half window leading up on some attacks where you can as long as you parry at any point in that it will do it automatically, which is nice because this game you have to parry a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there are also blue attacks, which when you get hit with a blue attack, it lowers your momentum, it still deals damage, and it can't be parried. And kind of the issue with the blue attacks is that they never give you enough warning to actually do anything about it. Yeah, You know, there are some enemies that'll do things like throw bombs out, and those are pretty easy to avoid, but a lot of them will just be like, they'll flash blue, and then you've already been hit. And since you can't parry those blue attacks your only option is to dodge out of the way. And I think that the game is kind of weird about the way it handles dodges. I found it really hard to avoid those blue attacks. 
But I think a big reason that I mentioned, you know, the different body parts that you need to break and why it's less interesting than Monster Hunter is that when you break those body parts, the enemy doesn't get weaker. They don't lose the ability to attack. You know, if you're fighting a giant scorpion and you break its tail, it'll still attack with its tail. It'll attack with its tail and deal more damage because you've put it into a rage mode. It'll attack more quickly because it's in that rage mode. And sometimes it'll gain extra buffs like, you know, moving around faster, teleporting around more often. It gets harder to fight the more you've broken off body parts. Yeah, and that really frustrates me. Like, being able to break off an enemy's like specific body parts is a really cool idea. But they did the opposite of what they should do with that. <laughs> Like, that should be how you open them up for, like, the hitting weak points or how you stop them from using specific abilities, not just this enemy has five health bars. Yeah. Like, that's nothing. <laughs> and I think the bigger issue is that when you're fighting a large enemy, it'll spawn smaller enemies around it. Yeah. And this game, something we haven't mentioned, has a terrible lock-on system. It has a lock-on system? Yeah, if you tap the right stick, it'll keep you locked on, which... I think is decent for attacks, but it doesn't necessarily lock your camera to that body part. It kind of makes controlling your character a little weird. And if you're in an area where there's like slopes or a lot of stuff in the environment, sometimes your character just won't be on screen when, you ha when you're locking on to something. The game is also really bad at figuring out what you want to lock on to. So if you press the right stick to the left and right, you can you know switch between which enemy you're locked on to. And... When you're fighting one big enemy, I think it works fine. But as soon as those small enemies get added to the mix, you suddenly have this situation where there are enemies all around you. They deal just as much damage as the boss and you can't see them. And if you try to move your stick over so you can lock on to them, generally you're just going to move between body parts on the large enemy or you'll lock on to just the completely wrong enemy in the wrong direction and everything. It's a huge mess. Yeah. I mean, the problem is I think the game absolutely needs a lock on, especially when you do get later in the game when you're fighting enemies that have like five separate like body parts you can attack and they're like spawning three new enemies every 30 seconds. Like you need a lock on. So it's not like something you can just not use. But also, the one they have is very, very bad. All of the difficulties I had with late game fights were not related to the enemies themselves. They were related to just poor visibility on everything. Yeah, because enemies do flash red. All the enemies. You know, I only mentioned it for the large enemies, but the small enemies, they work the exact same way. They just flash red. There's no audio cue or anything like that. And some enemies will attack in quick succession. So if you get hit by the first attack, you're almost guaranteed to get hit by the second attack. Everything about it is just, like, kind of frustrating. I mean, no part of this game is, like, awful, but also no part of this game is especially good. And way too much of it just has a lot of weird bugs or poor design choices or just something that makes it not what it should be. And that's a bummer because like when I would watch the promotional material for this game or I was watching other reviews and stuff, like I would see these really big over the top fights where they're throwing off abilities left and right and you know when you're at max momentum your attacks are huge and cover a huge area and have like really cool visual effects. Like I thought the combat looked really really cool. And on paper you can do those things. It's just that you're going to be fighting against a bad camera, a bad lock-on system, inconsistent enemy AI, moves that just don't function as they're supposed to sometimes. Like, there's just, 
there's so many stumbling blocks for what I think could be a really, really good system. And instead, it's just an aggressively okay system at best and an absolutely awful one at worst. (laughs) Speaking of the momentum system, I think it is a pretty cool idea. I definitely like, especially when you get into that second momentum bar and you're suddenly doing different attacks, they're much larger, they deal a lot more damage, you have, you know, two abilities that you can throw in. Uh, I might be telling on myself here. Uh, I didn't get to the third momentum bar regularly until the final map. Was that similar for you guys? It did take until about the halfway point for me to finally start consistently getting into it, but I had to pretty much invest my entire build into momentum-based abilities to get to that point. Like, you have three active abilities and nine passive abilities, and I would say probably, I think one of my active abilities and like six of my passive ones were all related to getting as much momentum as possible. And it wasn't until that point that I was finally able to like get into the third, like the final bar of momentum, like in every fight. And that was a lot. Momentum fills up uh, without any abilities to supplement it. Momentum fills up at about half the speed. I think it should. And with abilities, it fills up at three quarters of the speed. It should. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) I don't know. It's, I don't want to just like come in and butcher the game because I do think it has some interesting ideas. And I do think, like, stylistically, this game looks pretty good in terms of, like, the the scenery and the vistas and some of the cities. Like, I think they have a very cool art direction. And I think that the combat, when it's going as intended, is pretty cool. I would say the combat is, after everything we've said about it, I still think it can be the highlight of the game. I definitely had a few fights, like, mainly story bosses where I feel like the story bosses weren't as egregious about just, like, spitting out smaller enemies constantly. Some of those felt really good. Yeah. Like, when you could get into that groove of parrying every attack and then making the most of when the enemy is frozen in place and using all of your abilities as soon as they're off cooldown, like, sometimes it would come together to make something really, really cool. But I think I could probably count how many times that happened on one hand out of probably a hundred fights in this game i think the final boss was probably the most fun i had with the combat in the game i think the final boss is really really good and if you know more of the combat in the game was like that final boss i would have very different things to say about this the final boss you know without getting too much into it it takes you know everything that you've learned from fighting all the other enemies and kind of combines it but also it felt like i was rewarded for kind of figuring out some of the systems like, uh, you know, when to use abilities and how and how to move around the map in a way that I don't think most of the normal enemies really gave me that same sense of satisfaction. I'm also happy because the final boss, it didn't have like too many BS mechanics. So I was actually able to two phase it because of like how efficiently I was using my abilities. Uh, And I know that because I fought it I died on it like three times, but the first time I fought it, I got to almost the very end of the boss and I had to do this stupid like platforming thing that he makes you do either two or three times, but then I only had to do it once the time I beat him. It was, it was a very satisfying final boss. You know, if you're actually close to the end of the game, I would recommend maybe skip the side content and just kind of rush over to it. (laughs) I had completely given up on side content by the time I was like maybe halfway through the third map. (laughs) I uh, I haven't done any of it since I got to the fourth. 
Right. I have not bothered with it at all. I've only played. I've only even played once since I made it to the final map, though, and I didn't spend a whole lot of time there. I think the final map in general was the best part of the game. How many maps are there total? Four. Yeah, four. But one of them is really one small. is very very short. I think that the final map, very similarly to how I feel about the final boss, was the best part of the game. Just because by the time you get there, it feels like, at the very least, most. Of the enemies you're fighting kind of take advantage of, you know, you having access to that full momentum bar. You have all of your different abilities and you've kind of figured out the combat by then. I think everything goes a lot smoother around that time, but it could also be that you also get much better armor around that time that has special abilities if you get it, you know, fully leveled up. So there's a bit of give and take there, but I felt like I enjoyed the last couple of hours more than I enjoyed the first several uh speaking of it only took me nine and a half hours to beat this game and i feel like i did the vast majority of the side content i think for me i was really enjoying the side content in the first map like i thought it complemented the main like story well but as you get further in it also just throws a lot more side content at you on top of the story and I just wasn't feeling as motivated to keep digging into that as I went. Because a lot of it was just very fetch questy. And like some of it was good context for the world and like what the different areas, like what the people there were going through. But a lot of it was also just, I need you to go get this thing for me and bring it back and then I'll give you a new power. It's kind of weird because there's a big city that you get into. I guess around the halfway point. And you would think when you get there that there'd be, you know, a whole bunch of side quests, like people sending you out all over the map because it takes place on the third map, which is the largest of the four by a pretty big margin. But you get there and you run into a new type of civilian called a beggar. And the beggar is like, you can ask them if they know of anybody around town that needs your help. And they point you to a fruit vendor that needs help because someone stole a bunch of apples from them. And I think that's the only side quest in the entire city. I don't think I even did that one. (laughs) Which is also really funny because I I think the guy that stole the apples from the fruit vendor was also a beggar. So what does that say about the beggar society in Atlas Fallen? (laughs) Can't even stand up for each other? Yeah. The dude steals 10 apples. Yeah. The game literally starts with you trying to like cause an uprising amongst the beggars. And then the rest of the game, everybody's just kind of chilling. <laughs> you kind of mentioned the armor earlier and like their abilities and stuff. So I think the armor system in this game is something I really, really like in some ways. And I'm kind of just bummed about in some other ways. So you don't really have a character level in this game. It is just tied to the level of the armor set you're wearing at any given time, which I think is already sort of a weird decision because there's not like a more straightforward progression curve just for your character. And you have to switch armor pretty regularly in this game. But one way it kind of fixes that is you have a, basically a skill tree where every time you upgrade any suit of armor, even if it's one you never plan to wear, you still get a skill point to spend in this tree. And I think that those two systems work together kind of, they work together pretty well. It was still frustrating having to upgrade armor that I knew was going to get outdated very quickly, though. Yeah, and also the better armor was significantly more expensive to upgrade. Right. So you're incentivized more often to choose between 
having a better suit of armor so you'll do more damage to enemies you'll take less damage from enemies and you'll just overall be better like your cooldowns will be faster and stuff like that or you can upgrade you know armor that you're not going to wear that's a lot cheaper and you'll get that perk point out of it and i think the only reason that system doesn't work is because the perks are too weak because there are a couple of really, really useful perks, like one that lets you heal more often. There are some that, you know, give you more money or more experience for each battle or some that just give you higher momentum when you go into a level or in, into a, an encounter. But even when you get some of those skills maxed out, like they have multiple levels, it doesn't feel like they make a tangible effect on your character. <laughs> Like if you have all three ranks of the ability that give or the perk that gives you more momentum when you go into a battle, for some reason you still start in the first bar. It's just the bar is filled up two thirds of the way instead of empty, like it would be if you didn't have the ability at all. Right. And I really feel like by the time you have three points in that, you should probably be starting halfway in the second bar because you know that's a pretty big commitment for your perk points. There was a few that I just think were absolutely useless. Like, there's one that gives you a speed boost if you pick up a plant while you're sliding in the sand. Like, that's nothing. And especially not something you should be spending three points on to get maxed out. Don't get me started on the sand sliding. When they showed us the, I think it was an E3 trailer for this game, or, you know, it was one of those big shows that Nintendo or PlayStation or Xbox put on. When they showed off Atlas Fallen, there was a really big emphasis at least to me, it's the only thing I remember from that trailer on, you know, sliding around in the sand. And I expected that to be much more fleshed out than it actually ended up being. It's essentially in this game just a sprint. But, you know, maybe it's just weird expectations for me. But when I saw that trailer, I was expecting you to be able to do tricks or something interesting when you're sand sliding. It's just a sprint. There's there's nothing fun about it. There's a cool sequence at the very beginning of the game where you have to slide down like a really steep hill and you actually get a decent amount of speed during that. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, I'm I'm excited to see what this is like in, in actual practice when I'm not just on a story mandated section. There is never another section like that in the game. And when you run into really steep areas on the map, it's like your speed is capped at a really low speed. It's just not very satisfying. Yeah, they made it out like it was going to be this like fast and frantic way to get across the map and they kept referring to it as sand surfing and like I guess but realistically it's more just when you're not in the sand you sprint and then when you're in the sand you sprint but with a different animation <laughs> and it is faster when you're in the sand not by a huge margin unless you're going like straight downhill but yeah I, it was a huge letdown for me that was the thing I was most excited for playing this game. And one thing that also really frustrated me about that is, you know, your air dash is another really important ability. And I'd say largely the air dash is is cool. Like you can do some cool stuff with it. It's really useful in combat. It's really useful for getting around. Like I don't have a lot of complaints about the air dash itself. I do. But if, if you are sliding in the sand and you jump and you air dash to keep yourself moving forward, if you land back in the sand, there is a weirdly long delay before you can start moving again. So it, if you go from sliding to air dashing, it completely gets rid of your momentum when you land. You just come to a complete stop, and then you have to start over with the sliding. I tried to use that as an escape an enemy once, and it just led to me dying. 
it's a baffling decision to me that they decided that the air dash would completely cancel your momentum. This game's all about momentum. What the heck? I, I think that this game's problem, it really does come down to a lot of good ideas that just aren't there on the execution. Like, I like the ability system. I I like the momentum system. I, I even like the movement sometimes, but it feels like there's at least one issue with all of those that kind of ruins it, you know, for, for the abilities and the weapons. It's the fact that there's only three weapons, <laughs> the momentum. It's the fact that it's so hard to get up to those higher momentum levels where you actually start getting into the really meaty and fun combat. It's a slog every battle that you get into to get to that full momentum meter. Because I think when you have full momentum, the combat is so much more fun. And then there's stuff like, I I don't necessarily want to call it, Atlas Fallen is not a Metroidvania, but it does have some slight Metroidvania elements. There are essentially at different points in the story, the game points you towards different shards that you need to pick up, and those shards unlock a new ability. Uh, For some reason, every time you pick up one of the, you know, like big ability shards that actually like changes the way you move. You also have to collect a bunch of smaller shards, which are just, it's just busy work. It just sends you off to some remote corner of the map to pick up a thing. Sometimes there's a fight that you have to do to unlock the shard, but most of the time it's just walk over here. It's a thousand meters away and it's going to take five (laughs) minutes to get there, but (sighs) it's kind of annoying. But the abilities you get out of that are really useful. Yeah. Yeah. I think you do it three times for your, uh, your air dash and you get an additional air dash every time you do it. There's a couple abilities where you lift things out of the sand. You're either, you know, revealing a hidden object or you're just picking up a large object <laughs> and kind of uh, unburying it from the sand. I think it's cool. It's, it's a cool idea, but in practice, it's one, tedious. Two, I don't think that the abilities other than the air dash are all that interesting. And three, like, the ability where you lift things out of the sand is so slow. (laughs) It has no effect on combat, because when you're using that ability, you have to stand completely still, and it's only in certain marked areas. It sucks. I don't understand it. It's just there to gate off different areas, and I think there are more interesting ways they could have gated them off. Yeah, I mean, it's most of the abilities in the game are just straight up. There is an object you can't interact with until you get a certain ability, and then you can interact with it, and then it just opens a door or spawns a chest or lets you see something you previously couldn't. Like, it's yeah. like they are not abilities that are fun or unique. They're just ways to gate content until further into the game, which that's not like a terrible thing like i know games have to do that sometimes to like stop you from just steamrolling all the content in an area the first time you're there which games are insistent on doing for some reason but it's also just like they play them up as these big really important narrative like narratively significant powers and they're just like that bridge was down and we picked it back up it's just like my man when i'm going fast enough i can jump a thousand meters (laughs) That bridge wasn't doing anybody any good. If you're going to have Metroidvania aspects in your game, anytime you unlock a new ability that helps you traverse the world, it needs to have some kind of combat effect. Right. When you're playing Metroid, you unlock the missiles that let you get through the missile door, but it's also a new weapon. So there's kind of a risk-reward system where it's like, I only have a limited number of missiles, but 
it's a lot faster to fight this enemy with missiles or it's a lot faster to use a super bomb to clear out this area than it is to, you know, individually go and shoot every enemy. And this game just doesn't have it. And it kind of just leads me to wonder what was the point. Yeah. I will say, I don't think the the developers really talked much about those Metroidvania inspired aspects. So I guess they knew it was kind of weak. Well, we've already had a lot to say about Atlas Fallen. So Jackson, why don't you give us your final thoughts? Like I said, didn't have too much time to spend on it. Um, But I do think it is fine. A a good type of fine, not a bad fine, a good fine. It's got a lot of ideas that I really like. I really like the ideas behind the momentum system. Um, But a lot of it just kind of stumbles a lot. It's not that interesting of a world. I like the art style, but like it's basically just basic fantasy stuff. But I, I just I don't think it's bad by any means. I, I just think it could have used some more time in that easy bake oven. Just needed okay. a few more hours <laughs> under the light bulb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jason, how are you feeling about Atlas Fallen? I don't know that there's much to say that I haven't already kind of gone over. It's a lot of good ideas. And it's a genre that I feel like people are hungry for. Yeah. But it's just, it's not quite there in terms of implementation. And I don't know if it's a situation where, you know, if this game had a few more months of development time, if it would have made any difference. It definitely would have cleaned up some bugs. You know, like one issue that I ran into during several of the fights would be all of the enemies suddenly just getting stuck in a loop of their idle animations. Even though like I'm attacking a large enemy, it's just standing there and tanking those attacks and looking around like it's confused or something, not attacking. Mm -hmm. None of the enemies around me are attacking. Like there is a level of polish that just isn't quite there that I think, you know, that definitely could have been fixed. But, you know, the half-baked Metroidvania elements, the ability system with only three weapons tied to it, no ability to change between those weapons on the fly, poorly thought out movement, that doesn't actually have any interesting component to it other than when you're on sand, it looks different. Yeah. I think all in all, it's it's an all right game. Like, I, I don't hate Atlas Fallen. I was happy when my time with it was over, but, you know, like, it is it's kind of a smaller development studio than a lot of the games we've talked about. It's not necessarily a AAA game, even though it's kind of being presented that way, in at least from what I'm seeing. I'd recommend this game to anybody that you know, really enjoys something like Devil May Cry or Darksiders or even Kingdom Hearts. But if that isn't quite your cup of tea, then I would probably stay away from Atlas Fallen. Yeah. Jordan, what are your final thoughts? Um, I don't want to go super, super negative on the game. Because like I said, I think it did have a lot of good ideas. And there's a lot of things here that we haven't seen in a long time. But it just feels like this is a game that should have been released like 15 years ago and would have been really well received 15 years ago, but it didn't necessarily have the sensibilities that a lot of modern games have that, you know, they've learned in that time. <laughs> so I think it was it was pretty nostalgic for the first couple of hours to, like, play a game that felt like it was from, like, the PS3 era again, and I was liking that, but the more that the game started to flesh itself out in terms of its combat systems and its progression systems... It was stuff that was okay, but wasn't really helping the game, and then sometimes was actively taking away from the game. So 
all in all, it's a very hard sell, especially for a $60 game. I try not to let the cost of games affect my review, but this is not a game that I think was worth 60 at all. I think it would be a decent value for someone to pick up for like 20 bucks in like a year. <laughs> but right now, I don't know if there's many people I would recommend this one to. Yeah, I think there's more in common here with Darksiders 1 than Darksiders 2. Yeah, and Darksiders 2 was the clear, clear upgrade. <laughs> well, I think that's enough Atlas Fallen talk, which means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson. What else have you been into? So I've got two things we're going to talk about. Really just a little about the first one. Past like week or so, I have been putting a little bit more time into Final Fantasy 16, which some might remember I was not a huge fan of in my review because sometimes I would sit down and really like the game. And then other times I'd sit down and just want to turn it off. The past three times that I've turned it on, I've liked it. I haven't wanted to turn it off. So... It's, it's coming back around. I don't know how to explain it with spoilers, but after that one big thing near the beginning, it gets a lot better. I just don't think you should have to wait 12 hours for the game to get good. I thought it was fine before that 12 hours. I think it yeah. was great after that 12 hours. <laughs> also, I think I'm the only one of the three of us that has finished the game at this point. I saw a lot of reviews that said that the final act was the low point of the game, but I strongly disagree. I think the final act is the, is the best of the game in almost every capacity. It has the best narrative beats, it has the best character moments, it has the best combat, it has the best abilities at your disposal. Like I think everything about the end of the game is is significantly better than everything leading up to that point. Like it all comes together in a very 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 cool way. And also the last icon you get, I won't spoil what it is or anything. It's definitely the biggest game changer of the icons. Like, you could effectively just use that one icon and it would be like a fundamental shift in how you play the game. Like, everything is different once you have that icon, if you have it equipped. So, just something to keep in mind for folks that are pushing through the game and aren't sure if they should stick with it. Uh, definitely should. That last act is very, very good. I don't have too much to say about Final Fantasy 16. I just wanted to put it out there that I'm liking it this time around. <laughs> what I really have some stuff to say about is Pikmin 4. Because I unfortunately had to miss that episode because I was moving into college that weekend. Pikmin 4 is very good. I haven't played it in about a week. So kind of to like go through my memory to remember most of it. Uh, my biggest takeaway from it is we need more simple games. Not every game has to be this, you know, like giant complex action adventure or RPG or a shooter. Like, so let me go collect some treasure, man. Is that too much to ask for? Pikmin makes me appreciate the simple games. We need more games like Pikmin. It is incredible. It's a great little cozy game. And I think all the best Switch games are like that. <laughs> I definitely want to put more time into it. I think I had about eight hours or so in it. Not a whole lot. Um, don't really know how that compares to how much time people usually have by the time they finish the game. But I feel like with it being one of the you know more simple titles, probably not too many hours to it. I think it took me like 25 to 30 hours to finish the story, I think. Dang. That's a lot more than I would have thought. <laughs> but I still had a good bit of stuff to do in the post-game. I mean, basically a third of the game is reserved as the post-game. So. Hmm. I didn't keep track of how many hours I had in the game. But I also did all the side content like as I got to it. So, Same. But yeah, I, I do really enjoy it. Sadly, had to miss out on that episode. So this has been my review. Pikmin 4, 
one of the best games this year. Pikmin 4. I'd recommend it to anybody that liked Pikmin 3 or didn't like Pikmin 3. That's all the people. <laughs> I'd recommend it to anyone that has a Nintendo Switch or anyone thinking about getting a Nintendo Switch. And if you don't have a Nintendo Switch, go get one and play Pikmin. And then also play Breath of the Wild while you're at it. You, know, you mentioned that the, the Switch is you know kind of the best place for like cozy games. It's still weird to me how few games use the Switch's touchscreen. Like, after the Nintendo DS... And the fact that the Switch, it does have a touchscreen. It's wild to me that there aren't, like, click-and-drag games that are more common. There's not, like, Brain Age. You know, it didn't take off on the Switch the same way it did on the on the DS. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. The thing I mostly use the touchscreen for is just the keyboard. Well, anyways, this week I've been playing uh, some Kerbal Space Program. I've been playing a lot more of a different game, but I'm not allowed to talk about that yet. Keep an eye out in future episodes for our discussion on, spoilers, Baldur's Gate 3. Hey, you can't talk about that. In the time that I haven't been playing Baldur's Gate 3, if I've just been sitting at my computer, you know, doing nothing, I've been playing a little bit of Kerbal Space Program. And uh, the game came out in like 2013, so I think I've been playing it on and off for about 10 years now. It's still a fun game to come back to. I like Kerbal Space Program because I think it makes something that's really cool that I know I'm never going to interact with in the real way in the real world in any meaningful way and lets me pretend to do it with little minion characters. <laughs> and that's rocket science. I don't have a huge amount to say on it, especially not after how long we talked about Atlas Fallen, but I think that there's something really fun about shooting the little kerbals out into space and getting them stuck in orbit and then after that having to launch a rescue mission because you didn't leave enough fuel in the pod for that uh that first Kerbal to make it back to Earth. So after he spends like two years orbiting Kerbin, you finally figure out how to send up another ship that you can put a second pod on so he can finally make it back home. But you've left that ship that he was originally in stranded in space for all time. I think that's the kind of fun thing that doesn't come up in other games. I think that there is like just this huge level of i forget the word for it but it basically you know content that you make up yourself mm-hmm. the game you know it has that campaign mode where it gives you contracts and it's like all right you need to do this and then do this and then do this and i guess if you wanted to you could just rigorously follow those contracts but i think the fun really comes up in kind of giving yourself weird challenges you know like i, I don't think the game incentivizes you in any way to make an airplane but that is something that you can do and you know that means i'm gonna make an airplane (laughs) and i'm gonna crash 500 airplanes in my attempt to get one that just flies faster than like 10 miles an hour so i can get around the planet without you know taking either an hour or launching a rocket to do it for some reason (laughs) i think it's uh it's a really fun game and i know i think it's on like playstation and xbox i don't know how you would play it on a controller but if you haven't given kerbal space program a shot yet you definitely should the first one should run on just about any modern computer there's a sequel game kerbal space program 2 that is in early access right now i think it's only on pc but from everything i've heard at this point it still has less content than the first game and it runs terribly because it's built for like beefy computers, which Kerbal Space Program was built for beefy computers when it originally came out. But 
that was a decade ago. So between the two, I would definitely just recommend the first game. <laughs> sure. It's it's really fun. But I, I, like I said, I don't have a huge amount to talk about with Kerbal Space Program, so I'm going to pass it on. Jordan, what have you been up to? I have been digging back into Dragon Quest Builders 2, um, a game I've picked up once before, and I got like several hours in and stopped because we were playing other games in the podcast or reviewing other stuff or whatever. Uh, this is the first time I've like really gotten into it. I have about 20-ish hours that I've played in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we started playing Minecraft, uh, about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer. And it's a game that is very, very hard to get into if you're not familiar with it and you didn't kind of watch as the game evolved and you have to rely on like a lot of, you know, like websites and explanation guides and stuff to just like figure out some mechanics. And I've really wanted like a more traditional video game structure in a world you could build like that. And Dragon Quest Builders 2 is, like, exactly that. Like, clearly, this game was made by someone that had very similar opinions of Minecraft as me. Because this game is still very similar to Minecraft. But it has, like, a linear story that serves as an onboarding to how the world works. And how the sandbox works. And the mechanics for the structures you build. And it gives you new recipes as you build enough stuff and you build up a town and it has this linear progression system on top of being a building game but it also has like a regular rpg story within that where you play as a guy that basically like builders in this world basically have supernatural abilities like they can take very basic materials and turn them into very complicated things um and there's this whole storyline about how some people think that it's like an evil power, and some think it's a, it's a power of the heroes, which is a thing that's really common in Dragon Quest stories, where there's like a chosen one that some people think are a good guy and some people think are a bad guy. So it's that again, but uh, still serves as like a really good set dressing for teaching you how the building and this construction and the automating systems, like how all that stuff works. And I've just, I really like it. I really love the whole Dragon Quest series and its whole style. And I think that it adapts really, really well to this, like, world where everything is cubes. (laughs) But, yeah, I've had a lot of fun with it. If you're someone that wants to get into a game like Minecraft, but you've just never really been able to quite click with it, I think that this is a really good, good recommendation. And also, there are two of them, so I don't know how one compares right offhand, but two is a very, very meaty game. Like, this has a very, very long story with a lot of stuff to do in it. So there is a ton of content here, even if you're just looking for something to play through a story once and you're not necessarily worried about the big overarching building stuff you can do separate from that. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, You know, still a building game, so it still requires some creativity, some imagination, but it puts the tools in your hand and tells you what the limits are kind of right out of the gate, which I appreciated, even though I know some people would absolutely despise (laughs) Dragon Quest Builders is one of those games that I, it's been on my radar since it came out, but I've just never wanted to put the money into it. Well, it is on, both games are on PlayStation Plus, if you have at least the middle tier of like the new PlayStation Plus system. So for PlayStation fans, it's readily available. Um, And for Xbox fans, it was on Game Pass. I don't think it is anymore. Um, but I've seen the game go on some pretty big sales pretty regularly. So 
if you hold out, you can probably get it for a little bit of nothing, especially since it's been out for like two or three years now. So, but yeah, Dragon Quest Builders 2. It's a good time. Good vibes, good building, good, not a good story, but a present story. <laughs> so. It has a story. Yeah. It has a good enough story that it keeps me motivated to keep going. And some of the dialogue is actually very, very funny, particularly because there are characters that are dependent on you to build things to sustain their lifestyle, but they also see you as like an evil entity. <laughs> like there's one guy where every time uh, he needs something from you, he's like, so um, you still up to a uh, godless life of sin? <laughs> and he's like, oh, you are? Well, would you mind building me a storage hut? <laughs> like, so it's it has some very funny dialogue, which I think Dragon Quest has always been good about that. Like, I think that the Dragon Quest games I've played, both you know, eleven more recently, and some of the older traditional style ones from like the Super Nintendo era, still had some very good dialogue in them. So yeah, Dragon Quest Builders Two, you should check it out. But I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on the app formerly known as Twitter, uh, it's at TBMcast. On Instagram, it's at Totally Biased Media. And you can find us on twitch.tv slash Totally Biased Media if you want to watch us stream. Uh, We are coming to the end of the Year of the Kong We have officially started Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, the final game of this entire series. So, probably the the final Donkey Kong Country game forever. (laughs) I know Um, what you're thinking. Why was the year of the Kong only eight months? I don't know. But yeah, we're we're coming to the end. The year of the Kong is almost over. So check us out as we we stream some Tropical Freeze and... Let us know what you want to see in the future. Um, you know, it, it'll probably be a couple streams to finish this one up, and then who knows where we go from there. We have some other series in mind, but we don't know exactly when they're going to kick off or anything yet. So send us your suggestions for what we stream, when we stream, how we stream, whatever you want to see, let us know. Um, you can also send us an email with your own reviews for some recent release games to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. You know, we love to pick apart reviews from Metacritic of people that absolutely adore or absolutely hate certain games, but we would love to hear a normal person's take on some games sometimes too. (laughs) If you have thoughts on upcoming games like Starfield or Baldur's Gate 3 or what are some other ones? We got a, we got a bunch of new Mario stuff coming out. Spider-Man. What? Spider-Man. Oh yeah. We got Spider-Man. So if you have strong opinions about any of those games, Send us an email. We'd love to read it on the podcast. We would love to engage with you however we reasonably can. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.